step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey everybody up in Modesto and surrounding California areas. This is Doug Jones, and I'm coming to see you at Modesto Comic Con, July 9th and 10th. So come on out to Modesto Comic Con and see me. We'll be doing autographs and photo ops and hanging out, and the hugs are always free, and I love them. So we'll see you there. Welcome back to Geekish Cast Comic Commentary with Paul and Jeremy. What's up, Paul? What's going on, Jeremy? Oh, same old stuff. How you been? I'm been very well. Been reading a lot of Rebirth. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what everybody's reading. I know that's that's what that's the big news. There's some yeah. big. There's some little bit of Marvel news too that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit too. Well, there's the. Let's not spoil it. By the time this airs, people will have read it. But are you talking about the Captain America stuff? No, not that. Because I actually oh, haven't read that issue yet. It's been because I've been. It's like on the bottom of the pile right now. No, I'm talking yeah. about the the finally video game console stuff with Spider Man. Oh, I haven't heard this yeah, yet. Yeah, we can talk about that oh. later. Okay, yeah. Um, you hear. Well, not being a huge Star Trek guy, I don't know if you would have heard this. Uh, CBS and Paramount released their fan film guidelines. No, and, I didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're um, restrictive. Is this well, because of something? Uh, because of a fan film that was in production that countersued when they got sued for breaking copyright yeah. after raising hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I'm assuming yeah. it's coming. Yeah, so um, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to draw any attention to anybody who actually acts that poorly in public. Um, But he demanded a set of guidelines for fan films. And, uh, well, Paramount and CBS jointly released a set of uh, fan films uh, rules. Basically, you can do 15 to 30 minutes, and that's it. No sequels, no nothing, period, boom, done. So you can do like one short film, but he can't do a series of stuff can't do a series, can't have the word Star Trek in the title. There's a lot more to it than just this, but I mean, the, the gist of it is also, if you are going to use pre-existing props or uh, costumes, yeah. they have to be officially licensed versions of the outfits. You can't make your own or have your own costuming department or your own prop department. You talk about just messing it up for everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, somebody really came along and just shit in the pool here. I mean, badly. And, um, you know, there's there's guys out there. You know, there's a handful of Star Trek fan productions I really enjoy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah you sent yeah. me a link to one the other day. And... Yeah, well, Star Trek continues. Yeah, yeah I, I really like that. They were the first ones to really do a great follow-up to the Mirror Universe episodes, or Mirror Universe episode of TOS. I should really see about getting those guys on. You should. Do you have any contacts for those dudes? Well, you know what? I just hit them on Twitter. Yeah. You definitely, you definitely should. Yeah, I think this. Yeah, I don't. Part of my French, but what, what the f- are you talking to me for right now? Yeah, maybe, maybe we should. Um, 
You know, you know, Paul, uh, give me a minute here. I'm I'm going to go get an interview with Captain Kirk. I think you should do that. It's a slow comic book week next week, so we can catch up on the, this week's stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll take a look at that next week. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. This is going to be a Geekish Cast episode 83, Captain on Deck. Stay tuned for a talk with uh, me and Vic Mignano of Star Trek Continues. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and I am joined today by Vic Mignana of Star Trek Continues and more voice acting gigs than I could possibly count. How you doing, Vic? <laughs> I'm doing good, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time to do this. I know it's um, sometimes a little bit tricky to schedule these things, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. It's my pleasure, sir. My pleasure. So, Vic, let me. I'm going to kind of start with your acting background a little bit here. I was going through your IMDb, and you have, like I said, a lot of voiceover work. Um, is that something you aspire to, or is that something you landed in? Well, you know, it's something that really came out of nowhere. I, um, I've been acting since I was very young, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I make no bones about saying that uh, it was Star Trek, watching Star Trek as a little boy that made me want to go to school and audition for school plays and uh, get involved in acting in the first place. So I've been acting since I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old. Uh, then I've done tons of stage plays and lots of on-camera stuff. And then about 18 years ago now, mm-hmm. I was working on a video in Houston, Texas. And one of the guys I was working with said, hey, you have a lot of acting experience, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, you should go and audition for this place here in Houston. They dub, they buy these Japanese animated shows and they dub them into English and they're looking for actors. And I thought, wow, that sounds like fun. And so, I mean, I remember when I was a little kid, I loved Speed Racer and Kimba the White Lion. And a lot of these shows that, that I now know were anime, but I just didn't know at the time that they were Japanese anime. And so I went auditioned and I got cast. And my first role was Vega in Street Fighter Two. Oh, really? Uh, and uh, and it was really. And I figured after it was over, I thought, well, that was a real fun kind of a one-time weird thing to do. And uh, and I, I I didn't think anything else about it. And then a few weeks later, the studio called me again and they said, Hey, we've got another show. Would you like to? come and play a role in it. And so I did. And then another and another and another. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And I started meeting uh, people from other studios, studios in Dallas, studios in Los Angeles, in New York, uh, all over the place. And so, you know, fast forward 17 years, and I've done over 300 different animated series and video games. And it was nothing I ever expected or planned but I'm extremely humbled and grateful for the change. What kind of work were you doing before you got into the voice acting? Well, um, I, my, my college degree is in film. Okay. So I was doing, I was doing uh, independent production work, but also I was writing music. 
I, uh, I was a composer for, uh, for a production company in Houston, and I wrote music for uh, ad agencies and television studios and radio stations, and um, I did a lot of professional music work. Oh, wow. So you're, you're a very creative person all around then. Well, I've always loved type of creativity, whether it's clay sculpture or drawing or painting or, or writing a story or stage plays, singing, playing the piano, whatever. I mean, I've always loved just about any kind of creative endeavor. Well, how many instruments do you play? Oh, I just play the piano. Oh, okay. I play the I mean, piano and keyboards, but nowadays, you know, with, with synthesizers and samplers, you know, you can use a keyboard to play a lot of different instruments um, if, you know how, yeah. if you know how that instrument plays. Do you still do, you still do anything musically, or is that oh something you kind of Oh, my gosh, yes. Left? Oh, my goodness, Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have, I have uh, original music CDs on iTunes. Uh, I do. I sing the theme songs for several of the animes I'm in. Uh, I'm always, anytime I see a piano, I'll sit down and play it. When I do convention appearances, uh, I'll often do a, a live concert performance. Um, yeah, music. Music is still a very big part of my life, but I must be honest. Ever since Star Trek continues, uh, uh, music has taken kind of a backseat to all of the enormous responsibilities of Star Trek Continues. Oh yeah, well let's go ahead and we'll let's uh, start to head towards Star Trek Continues a little bit here. Um, Twenty thirteen, I believe, was the year you guys launched that project, right? Or at least announced yes, it. Yes, that's correct. Right, right around there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, what was it? Um, and and you know. Just so everybody knows, we are aware that there's another series that did something similar. Uh, but what was it that made you decide to kind of revisit original Star Trek and pick up where they left off? Well, to be honest with you, Jeremy, I, I was very familiar with the other fan series. Mm -hmm. And nothing personal to them, but as I would watch these other fan series, I thought to myself, wow, this could be done at such a higher level. It could be done so much better if uh, characters were actors who actually, you know, had acting training and experience and, and could really, uh, really communicate the original characters that we loved so much. And, and if, the, if the lighting were more like the original series and the camera work were more like TOS and the editing and the stories and the sound design and if everything were just notched up a little bit better, uh, wouldn't it be cool? And so I decided that since I had spent much of my life developing skills in acting and production work and shooting and editing and storytelling and all different elements of production, I thought, wouldn't it be fun if maybe one time in my life I got to play the character that I grew up loving so much and maybe tried my hand at making a classic Star Trek episode. And at the time, I, I paid for it all myself. I, I funded the first episode completely out of my own pocket. I didn't ask anybody to give me money for anything. Um, and 
my dear friend Stephen Dangler came along to help out, and we created the first episode, never really knowing whether we would do more than just the first one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the response to Pilgrim of Eternity, our first ep- episode, was so overwhelming that we decided that we would. Uh, we now had a proof of concept. We had now proven that we could do this and do it at a at a pretty high quality level. And so we um, we launched a Kickstarter to raise money to make more episodes, and that's exactly what we did. We told the fans that if they gave us a certain amount of money, we would make three more episodes, and that is exactly what we did in very short order. And then we uh, and then we launched another Kickstarter to make two more episodes, which is exactly what we did in short order. We also raised money to build engineering which had never been done before. And that's exactly what we did in short order. We've, uh, we've always been very good stewards of the fans donations and have always gone out of our way to, to, uh, to be a production of integrity and make what we said we were going to make. And you know, and something I want to point out to anybody who's listening, who might have a question, you guys are actually a 501 C three. Yes, we are. As a matter of fact, we're the only star Trek production we are the only Star Trek fan production that is an official, federally approved 501c3. Right, which there means been, that you're... There have, been, there have been others out there that have claimed to be, but they aren't. They're not officially right. uh, nonprofits, but we are. We went through all of the paperwork and filed all of the, the, uh, the filings and financial documentation uh, and and uh, made a very compelling case to the IRS of what we were able to bring to, uh, to the world that benefited people in, in, you know, in an educational way, in a, in a training way, and, uh, and scientific ways, and the IRS granted our, our submission. Which I think is fantastic, but the other thing that people don't realize, your books can be cracked open at any moment just to make sure that you stay within the bounds of your say, you're doing what you said you were going to do with the money. Oh, happily. Happily. Yeah. And yeah. I, am, so, I, I'm, I, I am very, very quick to point out to people that um, we don't, nobody in our production makes a ton of money. Nobody in our production takes a salary. Um, we do what we do even at the quality level of Star Trek continues, we do what we do for literally peanuts on the dollar, pennies on the dollar, because everybody is involved for love of Star Trek and love of the project and what we can give back to to people and, and what we can give back to the fans. It's not for personal profit at all. Or promotion. No. No. <laughs> not no. That I'm I mean, you know what I have out, but... you know, I have a career. Mm-hmm. I have a career, and I have a very large fan base in, in, in my voice acting career. I didn't make Star Trek con- Continues to try to, to try to bring fame to myself or to try to promote myself or to try to profit financially in some way. I did it purely for love of the original series, and it was my desire to pay tribute and homage to the show that inspired me so much when I was a little boy, and that is all. So was playing Kirk like a lifelong dream that you that you finally got to realize or Absolutely. When the, 
Okay. And when it came up, were you just kind of beside yourself with giddiness when you realized it was? Well, something I was. You, you know what? To? I was beside. I was. I was. I was very, very excited, and at the same time, a little terrified, because if you think about it, anybody can imagine things, mm-hmm. and you can imagine yourself doing all kinds of really interesting things, but nine times out of ten, you'll never get the chance to do it. So you never actually have to put up, if you know what I mean. A lot of people can say, you know, a lot of people can say, man, wouldn't it be cool to, <clears throat> to, uh, to catch a pass from, from, uh, you know, from Joe Montana or, or to catch a football from Terry Bradshaw. Wouldn't it be cool to, to hit a baseball that's thrown at you by Nolan Ryan but you're never going to get the chance to do that. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people out there that would say, man, wouldn't it be cool to put on a perfect uniform and step onto the bridge of the Enterprise as Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock or Dr. McCoy or Scotty? But the chances of, of most people ever getting to do that is pretty slim. So I remember very vividly the very first moment that I was getting ready to step out onto the bridge in our very first episode as Captain Kirk, I felt a little terrified because I thought all of these years that I imagined doing this and now I'm actually about to do it. And I wonder, I wonder if I'm going to be any good at, I wonder if I'm going to look stupid. I wonder if I'm going to, you know, if I'm, if people are going to think that I'm, I'm horrible at it or, you know, I wonder if my the reality of me doing it is nowhere near as good as it was in my mind when I thought about it, you know? Right. So it well, was I'll rather you, daunting. Oh yeah. Well let me let me tell you this. My wife who suffers with me doing this, but I went through I've watched your series before, but I went through yesterday and rewatched every episode in order. Really? And my wife Yes, yes. Just to kinda just to kinda be ready for it, kinda put myself in the mindset and look for things um and as a part of this, I love your guys' Mirror Universe episode. I've actually oh, watched that you. one a, f- a few times recently. Um, my wife, watching you play Kirk, she, and you'll forgive my language a little bit, she said you've got that dick-swinging swagger that uh, Shatner had when he was a young man. <laughs> well, she goes, please tell your wife I said thank you. I'm honored. Will do. But she was like, he looks, I mean, she, was, she said, you know, basically when you think Captain Kirk, he looks like Captain Kirk should look, so... I think you well. You know what? Thank you for that, and I, I yeah. really please thank your wife for me. I here's the thing: I love Captain Kirk so much, and I love William Shatner's Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. So, so I wanted to pay homage to William Shatner's Captain Kirk. Well, that that kind of leads me to a question I was going to ask you. Um, how much of you playing Captain Kirk is you playing Captain Kirk, and how much of you playing Captain Kirk is you playing Captain Kirk as played by William Shatner? Well, if, if you follow me, I do. I do follow you, and let me tell you this: I've spent enough time with Mr. Shatner to tell you that William Shatner is Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is that character. He brings so much of himself to that character. And uh and I 
I I wanted people when they watch our series to feel like they're watching more of the original series. You know what I mean, Jeremy? I don't. You know yeah. what? Nobody needs to reinvent Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk was just fine the way he was with William Shatner playing the role. So with Star Trek Continues, I didn't want to reinvent Captain Kirk. I don't want Chuck Huber to do his version of McCoy. I want people to, uh, I want people to feel like they're watching the original characters. The whole purpose, I mean, the, the title says it all. I want people to feel like Star Trek continued as if it was never canceled and and it went into a fourth and fifth season. Yeah, I think you guys do a pretty good job on that. I've got a question for you about episode two, which sure. is titled, uh, titled Lilani. Did, did you guys already have Lou Ferrigno pegged or did you go, we need a great big green guy and then land on Lou Ferrigno? No, I got to tell you, I got to tell you. Um, it's so funny. So many providential things have happened with Star Trek Continues. Um, and, I, and I use that word on purpose because I do very mm -hmm. much believe in providence. So many providential things have happened. Um, I am good friends with Lou. Louie and I have done a lot of conventions together. We've done a lot of Comic-Cons together. And we became friends. And one day, he and I were at a convention, I don't remember where, and we were having a drink one evening. And I was, and we were in the middle of building the sets. And I said, Louie, uh, let me show you what I'm working on right now. And I showed him a picture of some of our sets. And his eyes lit up and he said, I loved Star Trek when I was a little boy. Vic, if you ever have anything I can do on your show, please let me know. And this was like before we even shot Pilgrim of Eternity. And then, once again, as Providence would have it, a friend of mine came to me with a story idea about an Orion slave girl who stows away on the Enterprise and is looking for asylum doesn't want to be returned to the sex trafficking trade. And I, as I read his story, I thought, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be amazing if, wouldn't it be amazing if, uh, if we worked into this episode, the girl's owner who comes out to, uh, to claim his property, and it would be this big, nasty, tough, green Orion slave trader. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, my gosh, Louis Ferrigno. And I called Lou, and I told him about it, and he was very excited about it. The only thing he, the only thing he made me promise was that I wouldn't make him look like the Hulk. <laughs> and I said, I promise you, Louie, he's going to be a bad-looking dude with a like a Fu Manchu mustache with beads hanging off his mustache, and he'll be bald, and he'll have these cool earrings and stuff, and he absolutely loved it, and uh, we were so proud to have him.
No, that was, I mean, he did, but of course, me seeing it, you and I are within uh, stone's throw of each other's age, so we grew up on the same television. Sure, so yeah. So we all, you know, we all look at that and go, oh, look, the Incredible Hulk, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I do have another question for you. For your first two episodes, you had a different Dr. McCoy. Yes, that is true. Um, and uh, <clears throat> was Larry besides himself with joy at the idea of playing Dr. McCoy? Or oh, what? yes. I mean, if you know Larry, <laughs> you know that Larry loves Dr. McCoy the way I love Captain Kirk. Yep. And um, and I will tell you this. If you look at our vignettes, did you see the vignettes that we released? You know what? No, I never did, and that was something I meant oh, to get to yesterday. Oh, my goodness, but... Jeremy. You need to go check out the vignettes because you'll notice that in the vignettes, which we made before the first episode, Chuck Huber was Dr. McCoy. Oh, okay. There I'm seeing his picture right there. A month before we were supposed to shoot Pilgrim of Eternity, Chuck Huber had a bit of an emergency, and he called me and he said, I can't believe – I have to do this, but I'm not going to be able to make the shoot. And I thought, oh, no, you know, what are we going to do? And I remembered meeting Larry, and I remembered Larry telling me that he loved McCoy as much as I loved Kirk. And so I called Larry, and he graciously stepped in at the last minute to play McCoy. And then he played him for the second episode. And while we were shooting the second episode, uh, Chuck Huber contacted me and said, Hey, listen, the crisis is over. Um, I would love to return to the production if you'll have me. And I had always imagined him playing that role. And so I sat down with Larry and I said, Larry, I'd, I'd like Chuck to come back in the role, but we love you and we don't want you to continue to be a part of our family. So, so Larry graciously stayed on as our creative consultant. And he's a he's a, a very valued member of the STC family, and he's there every time we shoot an episode, and uh, and we just love that Larry is part of our team. Well, that's excellent. Also, I want to I want to point out for anybody who might be listening to this who hasn't watched your show yet, you guys have picked a very inspired choice to play Scotty. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. the The first time I watched it, I was like. This is this is uncannily weird, and then I had to go look at who it was. Obviously, you yep. actually have James Dewan's son, Chris Dewan, playing Scotty. Yep, and he is. It was he was born to play that role, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he is. Um, you know, a dead ringer for his father. I mean, just. Oh yeah. yeah um, he's he's wonderful, and he's such a nice guy. He's become such a dear friend, and. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine anybody else playing that role. And then, just so you know, I'm actually talking to two more of your crew this week. I'm actually talking to Todd tomorrow. Oh, cool. And and James Kerwin on Wednesday. And I know he's written and directed for you guys. Oh, so, yes. James, a very yeah. dear friend and, and a very, very, very valued member of our team. And, of course, Todd, you know, he's he's a great actor. And uh, and he has done such a wonderful job with, with a very difficult character to play. Yeah, and that's I, – I wish I knew more about acting so I could dissect his take on Spock because he is very good in the role, but physically he's a different type than Leonard Nimoy. He is. He is. And yeah. you know what? I'll be honest with you. I struggled with that a little bit. Um, when, when, when Todd first auditioned, 
he really wanted to play this role. And when he first auditioned, I thought, man, he's a little young to play Spock and, and, uh, and he's a little different body type to play Spock. But then I thought to myself, Vic, you always promised yourself that you were going to use good actors. You always told yourself that you were going to differentiate your, your, uh, your show from the other fan productions by having actors, people that were actually trained, seasoned, experienced actors. And Todd certainly was that. So, uh, so I decided to go ahead and cast him. And I'm really glad I did. He's done a wonderful job, and he's brought so much to the role. And you know what? Let me tell, for anybody out there, let me tell you something. Spock may be the hardest character on the show to play. Because people that say, oh, well, it would be easy to play Spock. You just, you know, you just say all your lines unemotionally, kind of deadpan. And anybody that says that doesn't understand the character of Spock and doesn't understand acting because Spock is not without emotion. He hides and covers and keeps his emotion pushed down. And that makes it all the more difficult to play. Uh, and Todd has done an amazing, it takes a really good actor to play a character like Spock. And I think Todd's done an amazing job. Well, there's a lot of subtext in the acting of the character Spock as well. Exactly. Um, yeah. And again, like I said, I, I wish I knew more about acting so I could delve into that topic a little bit more. Um, so your your episode, Fairest of Them All, uh, for me, hands down, has been my most favorite episode you guys have done. <laughs> It looked like it was probably a lot of fun to make, too. Um, do you have an episode that was your favorite as far as, like, the entire production? Like, this is the most fun we've had making one episode. Well, definitely playing the mirror universe. You know what I mean? Definitely mm -hmm. playing the mirror universe is is a lot of fun, right? Um, I think we had a lot of fun making that episode. But then, as soon as I say that, there are things about about each of the episodes that I cherished so deeply and and loved playing so much. In fact, I got to tell you, episode 4, The White Iris, for mm -hmm. me personally, for me personally was an was a story that I really wanted to tell because I really really wanted to show a side of Kirk's personality a side of him that, that you didn't see much in the original series. And that was the side of regret and remorse and shame. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and keeping things, keeping pain and loss uh, that he had felt buried deep down inside him and how it came back to haunt him, literally. And, I mean, you know, in the original series, Captain Kirk was... You know, often, I mean, he was almost always, he was the hero. He always had the right answer. He always saved the day. You know what I mean? And, right. And I think, and I think even I read an article where William Shatner said that had they done another series, um, had they done another series, Bill Shatner said that 
he wanted, one thing he wanted to do with, with Kirk was he wanted to make him more three-dimensional. He wanted to, to bring some of the flaws, the human flaws that we all have, to the character of Captain Kirk. And if you think about it, it would be hard to relate to somebody who's never wrong. You know what I mean? Right. It would be hard to relate to, it would be very difficult to relate to somebody who never makes a mistake, who always saves the day, who always has the right answer. And so um, that's, that's something about the White Iris that I really love. And, and then, you know, all of them had something very, very special in them. Right. The one thing, I've watched The White Iris twice now, and it's a very good episode, but the style of storytelling you use is much more internally referential than they would have done in the 60s. I mean, the continuity didn't exist 40, 50 years ago in television, period. Um, right. So it, it kind of pulls me out of it a little bit. Is there... Is there ever a desire to reference things that you fight against, or do you figure you're doing this now, so you're going to tell the story like it's told now, or have you even given that much thought? Well, give give me an example. Can you give me an example? Oh, I mean, just in this case, I mean, Kirk flashes back to Edith Keeler and, you know, past, past incidences in his life. Um, you know, back in the 60s, if this episode had been done, they, they wouldn't have really flashed back. I mean, you didn't even talk about the last episode, because... Oh, I see. If, you mean. Yeah, I see. You mean. So like they they didn't they didn't really. Yeah. Each episode was kind of its own standalone episode is what, exactly. right, is what you mean. Like they didn't exactly they didn't build on it like serial. Right. Right. Well, because, yeah, because, I mean, it would be another 20 years before videotape or 40 years before DVDs. So if you saw an episode, that might be the only one you ever saw. So they, they didn't reference older episodes, really, or, you know, build upon a consistent storyline back then. Right, yes. Well, I mean, that's true. That's true. But at the same time, I feel like, I feel personally that, um, that there were a lot of episodes that were left very open-ended. There were oh, a lot absolutely. of story, you know what I mean? There, there, um, there were a lot of episodes that I felt like, um, you know, they left the audience saying, wow, I, I wonder what, what, what would happen next or whatever became of that guy or, or whatever happened. I wonder on that planet if this or that. And so, um, you know, in some of our episodes, for instance, the one that you liked the most, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I remember even as a kid, um, watching that episode and going, I wonder, you know, we never saw the mirror universe again. And I wonder if Spock ever did anything with that challenge that Captain Kirk gave him. So that kind of thing I thought was a a perfect springboard into a new episode. And of course with Apollo, you know, um, when Apollo disappears, he doesn't, we don't know if he, he didn't look like he died. He just disappeared. And right. I remember thinking, I wonder where he went. And he was talking to his old friends. He was talking to the other gods and saying, you know, forgive me. You know, you were right. You know, the time has passed. There's no more room for gods. Please take me. Forgive me. And, you know, forgive me, my old friends, and take me. And um, so I, there were a lot of episodes that I feel like um, there could be an additional story to tell. 
Oh, absolutely. And I have to tell you, uh, and I, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes at all here, but your uh, fairest of them all episode, uh-huh. to me, the thing that follows that would be the wrath of Kirk. Fifteen years later, Kirk is found, you know, Kirk comes off of exile off a planet and goes after Spock. That, to me, I just saw that and I was like, oh, my God, you could bounce off that perfectly into a movie. So, Well, as a matter of fact, you know what, i got to tell you, and I will tell you, a lot of people have said, oh, you should do another Mirror episode, you should do another Mirror episode. And I thought to myself, what would it be? Um, and the only thing I could really, the, the first thing that came to my mind was Captain Kirk gets himself another ship somehow and goes back basically to hunt down Spock mm-hmm. and, you know, make him pay for taking the Enterprise. And it's a big battle, a big ship battle. But, you know, we're, we're not going to have an opportunity to do another one. But, um, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. The, the, certainly that that universe is one, the mirror universe is one that everybody really loves. Well, and I think a certain amount of that is just the women are so scantily clad that it kind of helps as well. <laughs> well, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also your newest episode here, Come Not Between the Dragons. Yes. You tackled some very challenging subject matter here. Yes, yes. And that again, that was my intention with Star Trek Continues. Before we ever shot one frame of this show... I had purposed that I was going to tell stories that had a theme. They had a point. You know what I mean? They had a moral, they had a moral emphasis or a, a social commentary to make or an ethical dilemma to deal with. And um, I think that's what made the original series so endearing. And I think that's one thing that, that, you know, that I, that's one of the main things that I wanted to incorporate into our episodes. So um, when my friend Greg Dykstra came to me with this story idea, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is classic Star Trek. This is a perfect Star Trek idea. Absolutely. Um, there, well, yeah, I mean, you definitely have a commentary. You have a voice and a viewpoint that comes across in this. Um, it also tackles a subject matter by making it a sci-fi subject matter, which is just, you know, that's old school track right there. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Take a very, take a very fragile, delicate, hard to talk about issue and couch it in an imagine, in an imaginative story. Uh, you know? Right. One thing I, I want to approach a little bit here is that you have elevated female characters and female uh, actors to the semi-regular role, like kind of on a um, the same level as Scotty would be in the original show, where you yeah. actually have returning characters. Well, you brought in a new character, Dr. McKenna, and yes. her part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Very proud, very proud of of, of, of Michelle and Dr. McKenna. She's done such a great job with that role. And I mean, imagine, imagine the daunting task of creating a character that, that would be accepted and, you know, and welcomed into the TOS cast of characters. Um, that's, that's not an easy task. And I think that, that, uh, that Michelle and, and the rest of our team have been able to accomplish that with McKenna. Yeah. And, and she fits in pretty well. Um, I mean, you know, cause you, you bring her in as a new character. So she definitely comes in as a new character. You don't just drop her in and try to pretend that she was always there. 
Exactly. Exactly. In yeah. fact, in fact, we start out with Kirk being a little apprehensive about like, what the heck do we need? What do we need a ship's counselor for? He's Kirk isn't necessarily even convinced that they need her. Right. And uh, one of the nice things that I loved about the White Iris was that it's McKenna that is able to show Kirk what the real problem is here. And at the end of that episode, you know, Kirk has the classic line, if I ever doubted the ship, the need for a ship's counselor, I don't anymore. Um, and so he, you know, in the end of that episode, he basically welcomes her in as part of the family. And uh, another wonderful moment from that episode that I loved. But all of the female characters, I mean, you know, Uhura, you know, but again, it's, it, it's based on the story. We mm-hmm. never, we never set out, we never sit down and go, let's tell an Uhura story or let's do an episode where so-and-so has more to do. No, no, no. That's not how you write a good story. Right. You come up with a good story idea and then you allow the story to dictate, you know, who's involved and how the story plays out. Um, so we never set out to, oh, let's have more women involvement or this or that. But, uh, but that's, but that's the way it's worked out, and it's worked out really well. Yeah, because my wife even asked if you had uh, a woman on the writing staff or production staff because she was impressed with their – I'm not just introduction, but their, their – I'm not even going to phrase this right. Just that they're, they were in there, and they were treated like everybody else, and there was nothing you know, smarmy or weird well, yeah, or we even out them, of place. That, that, that we gave them a greater voice. Exactly. I'm glad you came up with the right phrasing there. Yeah, that they gave gave them a yeah they we gave them a more significant voice than they used to have. And wait till you see episode seven, and that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) No, no hints or anything then, huh? Nope. Okay. Well, then I will wait with bated (laughs) breath. Um, (laughs) So, Vic, I'm going to ask you about one thing, and it's it's something I just want to touch on real quick, and then we can move away from. Um, last week, because somebody had demanded it, Paramount released their guidelines for fan films. Have you guys yeah. had time to consider this, or do you, you know, have you decided that you're gonna how you're gonna handle this, or make an announcement about anything yet? Um, no. no. Okay. We uh, no, it's this is all rather new, mm-hmm. as, as you know, and um, we kind of figured, and I think all the fan productions kind of figured that something was going to be coming as a result of the lawsuit. And, um, and, and it did. We are currently uh, gathering some more information and waiting for some additional information. One thing I can tell you is that we have the utmost respect for CBS, and we absolutely acknowledge that CBS owns Star Trek, and they have every right to defend and protect their property however they see fit. So we are going to do our very best to be respectful of that and honor that as best we can. Okay. So that means no uh, Star Trek continues coffee or anything. <laughs> oh, was that no? There was, will never. Was that too much? There will never. There will never be any Star Trek continues coffee, uh, or you know, yeah. There will never be anything like that. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm showing too much of where my sympathies lie there, but 
Well, wow. no, no, you are very, very good on you for doing so, because the truth is the truth, my friend. You know, yeah. the facts are the facts. And as unpleasant as they may be for some, the facts are the facts. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something that I don't even think I've told a lot of people in a lot of interviews. Star Trek Continues has been approached by a lot of people wanting to give us money for our show, like wanting to wanting to 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 literally give us opportunities to monetize our show. And you know what I've all I've told every one of them? Sorry, we can't do that. We appreciate wow. that you'd love we appreciate that you would love to pay us to put our show on your network, but we can't do that. And I and yes, uh, we really are honored that you would like to put our show on your airline's entertainment system, but we can't do that. So my point is, rather than looking for ways to capitalize and personally profit from it, I've actually turned down and refused multiple offers to profit or, or make, make money off of it, off of Star Trek Continues. Well, and that just shows you have integrity. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many different ways to point that out to people, but, you know, when you're – if I liked your house, uh, Vic, I wouldn't then tell you I like your house and start renting out rooms in it until you had to have me thrown out. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're exactly right. And And you know what? I got to tell you, I know – a lot I know personally a lot of the people in the in the Star Trek fan world mm-hmm. that I know a lot of the a lot of the people that are making Star Trek fan productions and one thing all of us know one thing all of us know is that you can't make money from Star Trek right. We all know that the cardinal rule is you're not allowed to profit from someone else's property. Right. So that is nothing new. That is not a surprise to anybody. That's nothing any, any, any of the rest of us, you know, ever didn't understand. Well, you know, it was for a decade and a half, everybody was doing okay. And then something changed. And exactly. I... I had to quit interacting with a couple of Star Trek fan communities. I got I was into Star Trek when I was a little kid, so I'm a giant Trek nerd. But I had to quit interacting with them almost a year ago this month because I said that this particular fan production reminded me of Scientology or Amway. I said they're going to salt the mines, and then they're going to release it bit by bit, and they're going to keep coming back to everybody to try to get more money every time. This is vaporware. This will never come out. There are a lot of – you know what? There are a lot of unscrupulous people in the world, and there are a lot of people out there that that are very much in anything that they're in for themselves. Mm -hmm. Whatever they're doing, whatever they're doing, they're looking for an angle for their own self-promotion for their own self-aggrandizement and to line their own pockets. Oh, and, sure. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with making money, but but when it crosses the line and, and you know, and 
you take something that belongs to somebody else and start trying to manipulate it to, to profit yourself, that's when it becomes a problem. Absolutely. And it's really unfortunate that anyone would do that to Star Trek because Star Trek in its very core, at its very center, espouses ideals of unity and, and uh, noble ideas that go much deeper than self-promotion and money and profiting. And uh, it's unfortunate to, to see Star Trek used in that way. Yeah, and I will agree with you there. Uh, Vic, I'll put us back on something lighter, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I don't know about you, but me personally, I'm a big fan of the original Star Trek, the movies, and then The Next Generation. Uh, I didn't get into the series after that. Are, are you a all? You love all Star Trek, or do you have specifics that you hold to, or kind of what's your feeling on the universe as a whole? Well, I I am a classic series guy. I mean, I am a TOS fan, tried and true. That is my that's my jam. You know, that's my love. I got you. My childhood love, and you know, when Next Generation came out, I wanted to like it. I mean, it was Star Trek. I mean, it was mm -hmm. it was new Star Trek, and I wanted to like it, but I but I didn't, and I, I didn't like it as much as the original. You know what I mean? I it, it didn't resonate with me the same way as the original did. And then, you know, and then Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise. And, and I just didn't really get into those series the way I did the original series. And I know a lot wow. of people did. I know different generations grew up with different Star Trek. And uh, that's totally cool. But uh, TOS is my thing. That's my thing. No, that's, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with you. It took me years to get into Next Gen. I also noticed that in your episode, Lalani, you kind of fixed something that irked me about Enterprise. The uh, the Orion slave girls were in charge of the civilization retroactively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure that somebody thought that would be a really cool twist. And, and it was. But when we started writing the episode, we would have conversations like, okay, in order for this to be the case, though, we have to we have to address the canon that has already been established by Enterprise. So uh, we worked it into the story. Yeah, and and elegantly so too. A couple sentences and you move on. You exactly. didn't get bogged down in it. It was very clean, elegant, and simple. I really I really liked the way you guys handled that. Um, all right, Vic. So, what uh, what projects do you have going on right now? You would like to draw attention to? Let's let's do our let our guests uh, promote themselves a little bit. Well, um, you know what? Just um, just trying to, just spreading the word about Star Trek continues. We want as many people around the world to enjoy it as possible. Um, not for money's sake or fame's sake, but just because of love of Star Trek. Sure. Um, and if people want to buy then, your albums on iTunes, can they find it under under your absolutely, name? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, you can go to yeah. You can look up my name. I have six original music CDs on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at Vic Mignana. Um, I have a fan online fan club. Uh, the the Risen Bull Rangers. www.risenbull r i s e m b o o l Risen Bull Rangers, which is my online fan club we've got about 23,000 members and uh, and also on that website you can see my convention appearance schedule so you can see all of the conventions I'm going to be at this year and if you're anywhere near one 
I would love for you to come and say hello in person. Excellent. Um, I am. There's some talk of me trying to get over to the Salt Lake City Convention this year. Um, I've made friends with some people doing a TV series out of there, and I've been kind of floating that one out there. <laughs> well, you so. should do it. I'm going to be there. Well, that that gives me I'm an extra reason there. to go try I'm, it I'm out. I'm going to be there, and, and I don't know if you know this, but we're going to be premiering Episode 7 at Salt Lake Comic Con this year. And that's in September, yes? Yes. Well, first, first weekend in September. Well, I'm going to have to go thoroughly go through my calendar then, because I'm going to see if I can't make that happen. Well, I hope you do. Yeah. All right. Well, Vic, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and do this. I really, really do. I know you're a very, very busy man, so I do appreciate it. It um, is my pleasure. I, it is my pleasure, and I'm so, I'm so grateful and humbled. And I know I speak for the rest of my production team when I say we are so grateful and humbled that people have enjoyed Sartre Continues as much as they have. And uh, thank you so much for your encouragement and your support of, of what we're doing. Hey, Paul, so that was uh, our talk with Captain Kirk, Vic Mignogna. What would you think? Uh, that's really interesting. A little bit eye-opening. I, I, uh, I haven't met the man, but I feel for him right now. Yeah. Kind of both, you know, uh, as a fan of things and enjoying to do certain things. Uh, it sucks when that kind of gets taken away from you or um, at least limited in a way. So uh, I, I really feel for him, and I hope it gets uh, worked out and he can make some more of those episodes because um, he's doing a good thing, and it, it just sucks. Yeah, and, and he's the kind of guy, i got a feeling like if, if the Star Trek went to him and said, okay, dude, you're done, he's going to just go like, well, I've, I've done everything I can. You know, he's not going to... Well, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, he respects but, he respects the property. Yeah, he does. I mean, yeah, it's just unfortunately it's just it's come down to this, and um, hopefully it'll calm down and it'll open up a little bit more and won't be so restrictive. All right, well, let's go ahead and sign off, and then next week we'll come back and talk. Oh, probably some Captain America by then, yeah, or maybe all sorts, but definitely definitely rebirth. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely be talking about rebirth, yeah. Cat, some other things. Um, all right, so Paul, if people want to catch you on the interwebs, where can they find you at? I tweet at PaulViera79, and pretty much where I tweet. Oh, very good. And guys, uh, you can come to geekishcast.com. Uh, I do have subscribe buttons for iTunes and Android on there now. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. Coming up very soon on July 9 and 10, we will be at the Modesto Con in Modesto, California at the Modesto Center Plaza. Um, I'm going to be holding a raffle for a Bonanza Comics gift certificate, a Twisted Pig gift certificate, and a Galaxy Theaters gift certificate. All you have to do is follow us on Facebook, Twitter, show me that, enter the raffle, boom, there you go. Uh, so, all right, Paul, so I'll see you next week. Yep, yep. Looking forward to it. All right, take care, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.